Okay, welcome back. I'm sitting here with Erica Kasupinen, the winner of Survivor Season 41, host of Happy to See Me podcast. Erica, I'm so excited for you to be here. How are you? I am good. I'm excited to be here, Emily. Thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, thanks for sitting down with me. I want to get into your story and your strategy and all the badass behind the scenes, everything that went into you winning, you getting on the show in the first place. Um, But I just have to say, I have this podcast that's mostly based around reality TV. And thinking back on it, it's like, for me, Survivor was the start of it. Mm -hmm. Like that, I watched it from episode one, season one, and then I kept up with it for um, a pretty long time. And I fell off, but I had this renaissance with it when there was this scandal on the show. Um, I think it was in 2017. So there was a scandal and it was the way that the show and the network dealt with the scandal that really broke me in. Which one? I mean, it's not like the scandal is actually, it's like unfortunate that it happened. I was just impressed with the aftermath. So this was when contestant Zeke Smith was Mm -hmm. on and So he was outed as a trans man by one of the other contestants, Jeff Farner. And I -hmm. I think when I saw the the way that Jeff Probst and CBS dealt with it, I was like, oh my God, I've been accepting crumbs, not even crumbs from the other (laughs) networks and shows that I watch of like the most abhorrent behavior. Not to say that that Survivor's been perfect in the way that they've dealt with people, but watching that was so amazing because, you know, to paraphrase... Jeff Probst, he was basically like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. he didn't even do a vote. He kicked him off. The network gave Zeke the option of cutting that out entirely. And he chose to have it aired and wanted actually wanted it to be a conversation. And then they paid for uh, psychological support for him afterwards. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty impressive. And then for your season, (laughs) you were the post-pandemic, quote unquote, start of the diversity season, which... We're going to get into. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that, but where did the dream begin of auditioning for Survivor? Similar to you, I was watching the first season, season one, episode one, and it started when I was a kid, truthfully, as a way to deal with mourning. So I grew up in Niagara Falls here in Canada, and my grandparents lived with me, so like many immigrant families. We lived in an intergenerational home. My grandpa passed away and it was the first time I had ever experienced loss or grief as a kid. So I didn't really know how to deal with it. So he passed away and we had all of the funeral proceedings and whatnot before the first season of Survivor premiered. And then I just didn't realize, but in hindsight, I was just a kid looking for some sort of escape. And then this new show pops up You see these people in these crazy situations. They're figuring out how to live with nothing. They're going through these tough circumstances. And I was just hooked and I thought it was so cool. And I realized that that show really resonated with me because we were seeing these displays of perseverance and strength and strategy in a way we hadn't really seen before. So since that moment, I ended up becoming super into Survivor. I watched every season and I always would say – even when I was a kid, even when Canadians weren't eligible to be on Survivor, that one day I'm going to be on Survivor and I'm going to win and this is what's going to happen when I'm the winner and and all this stuff. I didn't realize I was like manifesting, but that was, I was a kid. I didn't even know what that meant. And then fast forward to October 2018, it's announced that Canadians are eligible to be on the show. And at this point, basically everybody I knew knew that my dream was to win Survivor And when that news came out, I just remember being at my office, sitting at my desk and picking up my phone and seeing just like message, 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 all with links to this news. And I'm like, okay, it's a no brainer. Like literally that weekend, I made the audition tape with one of my friends from high school. I didn't hear back for almost a year, which I've heard is like pretty short um, compared to most people who are auditioned for Survivor. But there are people who get on like right away. But yeah, I sent in my first audition tape, didn't hear back for almost a year. I started making a new audition tape. And then before I could submit the new one, the next day I got um, 
a, an email from casting and they're like, hey, it's been a long time, but like, would you be open to talking to us? And I'm like, holy shit, this is like actually happening. And then from there, even though it took a long time because of COVID, I ended up getting cast in my first try. Amazing. Like you truly had your eyes on the price. Because I've heard you say uh, a few times, like in your own content, you cared less about being liked and more about Mm -hmm. winning, especially impressive to me. Like I, if I had gone on, I would not care about winning at all. I would just care about being liked. And that's (laughs) why I probably would not do well on this show. Like I would just try to be like fan favorite and then like probably fall on my face attempting that. But you just calmly persevered. And I want to talk about your strategy because with your podcast, you know, your tagline is like, we look at the the underestimated and the overlooked. And like over here on like my little corner of the internet, it's all about like reading between the lines and mm-hmm. looking at like what goes on like behind the scenes, like how it affects people. And you went in like, I'm trying not to like spend this whole time just fangirling someone here from you <laughs> yourself, but you were focused on winning, but you did it by subverting what people thought of you and taking mm-hmm. stereotypes that you knew they'd have of you and using it to your advantage, like even to the point that your fan base are called truthers because of yeah. how underestimated, because they were like, no, 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 they, you had a vision, they had a vision and yeah. like saw the truth and you guys were just like aligned and like <laughs> locked everything out. I I would love to, to talk more about that, about the yeah. tropes that you knew would be like following you into the show. Yeah, I mean, number one, love the truthers. I wonder if they're dormant right now because it's been two years since I've been on the show. I think that actually they reemerged when it was announced I would be on Traders, but I love the truthers. Um, and when you were saying you would have gone in caring about being the fan favorite and the big star, truthfully, I think when I first auditioned for Survivor, that's what I wanted to be. And the pandemic really helped me because I was supposed to film Survivor in March 2020, but then obviously it got canceled because of COVID. And then I had to wait a year before I could actually film Survivor. And I don't know if I've ever said this, but I think that the person who auditioned and got onto the show in 2020 was different than the person who actually went and played the game in 2021 because I really took advantage of that time during COVID to do you know, all of this self-reflection and the introspection that we got the chance to do. And going into my audition in March 2020, I thought I was like this whiz kid PR person and I could like convince any senior person to do anything. And I, I do still think that I have that capability to a degree. But then after learning everything we did about the world and learning about how we see other people and in particular, having so many conversations about race and being in situations where I thought, oh, I thought I had power and influence here. Um, But it turns out people just want me to use my power and influence to maintain the status quo and they don't actually care about what I have to say about other more important things. It really gave me a new perspective in terms of how I was seen and how I fit into the world. And it was almost like I was jaded a little bit more going into filming Survivor in 2021 because I think that the version of me that would have played in March 2020 would have been like type A PR girl always has the clipboard always in control she's going to be the woman of color icon who's going to end the drought without a woman winner and then after everything I learned during COVID in March 2021 I was like you have no control over what anyone else says or do you have you have no control over what the people think of you you can perceive how you're being perceived um and that's the best that's the most control you have but I'm like, all I care about now is winning. And it doesn't matter if people like me. And and it's not to say that I went in and I was like, I'm not here to make friends. But it's like, oh, I didn't care about being like the star of the show, the most popular girl in school. I just wanted to win. And then once, once you're the winner, um, you are always going to be in the winner's circle. No one can take you out. And people can – they can debate over fan favorites, but a winner is like a real thing. A winner is a winner. And, mm-hmm. a, and a Canadian winner gets that American cash converted into Canadian dollars. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Finally, conversion rate working in our favor in that one instance. <laughs> the one time. Yep, the one time. But yeah, like I should clarify when I say when, – when I – say that you've talked about not being concerned with being like I'm not trying to say like you went Mm -hmm. in being a jerk it was far from it but you just went in from my perception like cool calm and collected yeah but 
it was actually much deeper than that in the way that you use these tropes against you. And to me, mm-hmm. like the symbol of that, if there was like an object to symbolize it, was like your pearly headband. And so oh actually, <laughs> I heard you talking about it and I I got chills because it's like 2020, you know, when we're talking about like diversity and the actual effects like there were some lasting effects but it was a lot of companies for a couple months pretending like they cared about people of color and mm-hmm. I know Survivor implemented a policy was it it was 50 percent yeah 50 percent BIPOC for all yeah. CBS unscripted shows okay so and then you were the first season that that came in mm-hmm. so but back to this headband I I don't know if you know where I'm where I'm going with this I want I want to hear you tell it from your words what you imagine people perceiving you as and how you leverage that to win the whole thing. Yeah. So I had learned through experiences I had, especially during the pandemic, that it didn't matter how prepared I was and how well-researched I was and how smart I was and how considered I was in terms of bringing something to the table. I, I had lessons where I learned the hard way that there are going to be people who just want to keep me in my place. And truthfully, even after winning Survivor, I end up in situations where I'm like, this person still wants to just keep me in my place. And keeping someone in their place can mean like many things. I think for me, it was like the tropes of being both a woman and being an Asian woman and wanting me to be like nice and subservient and never shaking up the status quo and being easy to digest and being cute. And since I look so young, you know, everyone, I've always had people talk about how cute I looked. And then that was my individual experience. And then you you add the layer of how people view women and how people view Asian women in particular and all of the bullshit that people say about how when you're at work, you have to change the way you talk. So there's not up talk. You need to change your body language. So you need to take up more space. You need to be assertive and ask for all this stuff. And that's how you get power. But on the flip side, and I think a lot of women experience this, when you do take on these traits and these behaviors, then people don't like it because it's like counter to how they view you or view people like you. And you end up in like this messed up catch 22. So when I was going into Survivor in 2021, I was thinking, I know what all of you people think of me and I'm going to use that and I'm going to kick ass. So I went in and um, picking your wardrobe for reality TV was so much fun because I love clothes and I am so aware of what clothes can communicate about you. And especially understanding that with the storytelling of the show, I'm like, okay, the clothes need to be somewhat functional, but also be the colors of your tribe, but also um, communicate to the audience, the character that you think production wants you to be. And then as a player, communicate to the other players what I want to communicate. So I was submitting like, you know, floral skirts and um, like puffy sleeved shirts that were actually very practical to have out in the wilderness, I will say. And then I had this blue velvet pearl headband and actually don't wear headbands in my real life. um, But people associate me with the headband because I was like, I'm going to come in and look like a juvenile little pretty princess with my purple hair And I'm going to let people underestimate me. And a a quote that I said actually in my very first audition tape that production then loved and egged me on to say throughout my time on Survivor is that I was a lion dressed as a lamb. Because I would also think about all of the things that people would tell women not to do at work and I, I would do them. So when I would speak to people, I would look down, I would say like every other word, I would change my tone to sound like I wasn't confident. When I'd go to tribal council, I would sit purposely to make my body look smaller. And even if you compare and contrast, if you look at photos and you compare me at a regular tribal council versus me at the final tribal council where I'm like, okay, now I'm going to take on the body language to take up more space and to appear more dominant and appear more masculine, um, you'll see the difference. And I, it was very weirdly gratifying that all of the things that I think people used to hold me down in life previously. Using those tools helped me to win the game. It's like, it's amazing. And that's, so yeah, that's why I brought up the headband because Mm -hmm. it's so genius to take Mm -hmm. the tropes that are imposed on Asian women. Well, there's multiple tropes, but one of them is that, that side of 
quiet and like agreeable Mm. and all these things. And to then flip it on its head and not be like be fighting against it necessarily just for the sake of it, but also like to win the whole prize, like Mm -hmm. to just be like sneaking up on everyone and not and like it's a game like everyone's trying to win this whole like I saw you getting this like sneaky label sometimes I was like everyone needs to fuck off with that because you you really weren't you really weren't I was fully aware that Asian women are labeled sneaky. And I mean, fans have looked up this stat. So somebody on Twitter has the correct stat. But I believe that uh, the last time I checked, it was Asian women have less than a 50% chance of making the merge. And Asian women are often the first people who are voted out of their tribe. And they're also always given the label sneaky. So I was like purposely trying to not be sneaky. Like I always kept my story straight. I think I only lied on that show like one or two times. Like the people, the only people who I said I would work with or had any type of loyalty to, we were the people who made it to the final five. So I I think, but maybe once or twice I lied to people. And even I made sure I was always visible at camp. So there's this like dynamic on Survivor where there's like your main camp where you have your shelter, you have your fire, and then there's like a larger area that you can roam around in. And in recent seasons of Survivor, there's usually things that are hidden in the jungle. But I was like, I'm going to take the L in terms of not being out there searching for things by myself so I can always be visible to people because I know as soon as I'm – and there was like one time I was like looking for something and I think that I got set up by production for someone to like walk by at that time. That's like a whole other thing. But um, I was like I wanted like be visible – all of the time because I know there's a difference between like me being away from camp and how that's perceived versus like some guy being away from camp and that's how that's perceived. But even still, like I still got called sneaky behind my back. That feeds into like a lot of the performative elements that came out of 2020. Like this is, you know, there, there was some real change. Like I'm, I'm not trying to um, undermine that, but a lot of it is like, oh, we now stand for diversity, but it's like, oh, but the diversity is going to be sidekicks or like in the Mm. background or, you know, they'll be there for the first episode and then gone just so we can check that off the box and say like, oh, look at, you know, we're, we're learning and changing. And, and so you were aware of that and you position yourself that way and you won. And yet still Mm -hmm. in the edit, that is not what we saw. Yeah. And so I I want to talk more about that and I I have my own theories about why you got that edit. Um mm-hmm. but I want to hear from you. So you play the game mm-hmm. and you do it honestly, but also like with a strategy as everyone is cuz they're on a freaking game like yeah. trying to win a prize. And then I want to hear from you like what you thought of the edit like capital D capital E like yeah (laughs) which was not the winner's edit Mm -hmm. so to speak or at least not the typical one yeah Yeah. oh my gosh it's so weird thinking about it because it's now two years out and then on my podcast my very first episode was me talking about the edit and it was something that I recorded in January after the December that I had won (sighs) it's Mm, where do I stand with the edit now? Because I truthfully, it's like now I, I just accept. I'm like, that was just a part of my experience. There's nothing I can do about it. I feel like I've talked about it so much that I, I don't feel so much resentment or, or anything. But it was – watching it, it was surprising and it was, of course, disappointing because I remember coming off of the show and feeling so excited and proud of myself because I had achieved this goal. And then to watch it in real time and to see, I'm like, oh, um, sorry, I really want to think about how I want to answer this because people pay close attention to what I say about the edit. And I I always try to be very like intentional about how I want to talk about it. So I just like really want to take like a moment to think about it. Take Okay, take all the yeah. time you need, but people are tuning in to um, – my podcast where they're used to being patient through my nonsensical ramblings. So yeah, like yeah. that um and bless them for that. So yeah. like yeah, however like you want to present it, like I, I'm here for it. But I, I will just say like the screen time was not what you would expect for a winner. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean the 
looking at it objectively, it wasn't as much screen time as you'd see for another winner. And on Survivor, well, not on Survivor, but the Survivor fans, they've created the system. It's this portmanteau of editing and logic called EDGIC, where they've created these scores that are given to each player each episode based on the level of visibility that episode and the quality of visibility that episode. So then the fans who are really tapped into EDGIC they will plot out everybody's scores. And normally you can see a pattern with edgic scores and the people who end up winning. It's changed up a bit now. I think that production is like aware that people do this. Um, So in my case though, since I wasn't visible in the first half of the season, according to this existing system, I was out of winner contention. So then when I come back at the end and I end up being the winner, it's just very confusing to a lot of people. And I'm like, and I understand, I understand why you would be confused. So I think it was just something that um, I wasn't prepared for all of that. Because I knew like, of course, I was on a tribe that won all of the challenges. So we never had to vote before merge. And, um, and I knew that there were a lot of people who were engaging with the objective to get screen time and engaging with the objective to be the stars of the show. And I wasn't. So I knew that I wasn't necessarily going to be like the girl getting the biggest edgic scores or anything. But I I was just like so proud of how I played. And I felt after we filmed and then before the show started airing, like the cast was so supportive of me and the way I played. And then just to see that that um, not show up on screen was like a really hard, uh, hard thing to manage uh, like throughout the experience. Yeah. And you talk about it with a lot of grace and, and nuance. And, you know, I think you're the first person in reality TV history that I've ever heard talk about the edit where I feel like there's validity. <laughs> like, Thank you. Oh my like, God. Thank you. And, and I'm like a, you know, reality TV is my, it's, it's my thing. Like I, mm. but it's usually people who said a bunch of crazy shit and they're like, it was edited a certain way. It's like, well, you said those things. So mm-hmm. you can't, <laughs> no one made you say them. Mm-hmm. But with you, like, it's not like you're going on, you know, this smear campaign of CBS. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're like, you know, you're proud of what you did. You're, you're grateful. Like, and whatever, you can have whatever feelings you want about it, but it's yeah. just, it's just like, it really should be said that you didn't, you didn't get the screen time. And like, I think like the way that you went into it with this idea of being like, okay, I I know people are going to be like, oh, little girl in the corner. So I will be that with my pearly headband. Mm-hmm. And then I think like production just didn't know what to do with you after. That's my theory. That's what, that's how I feel. They didn't know how to tell that story. Because I think that it's like that story is like much more nuanced than, you know, this person who wins a challenge or, you know, like, because sh- I also recognize Survivor is so much more complicated in person than what it's like on when you're watching it on TV. And the TV show has to take really, really, really complicated tribe dynamics that are changing every minute and turn it into a show where you can get from point A to point B within the same episode. So I totally get that. And I think it, it might have been, you know, since I'm thinking of like gender and race dynamics and I'm like flipping over these societal tropes in order for me to play. And I'm like, maybe it was just too confusing for the people who put the show on every Wednesday and they just like look at their phone the entire time it's on. Well, I mean, yeah. And, and you know, reality TV is still at a level of like, not even like racism 101, you know, of like yeah. not, not, we, it has not graduated past yeah. that yet. Like, and we're still, I mean, beyond reality TV, like we're still living in a world where BIPOC folks are like put in a position of basically having to work twice as hard for like half mm-hmm. the recognition. And so what are they going to do with that? Like, it's like both on their part that I think whether subconsciously or consciously, like they truly didn't know what to do with you. And also mm-hmm. maybe like, the viewer is not sure of what to do because it is like a swath of North America who watches. It's a lot of just like people from all over the continent who aren't thinking about these things and are watching like the summer of 2020 and not, not processing it on a very profound level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the other thing. It was like the, the timing of when I won with 
the it being the first season after 2020 with it being the first diversity mandate season with like the signals I was getting from production when we wrapped the show and I'm like oh I think that like I think I'm going to be really proud to see myself on the show and then I was like oh okay like some things moved forward and some things didn't progress and the the edit I got was just like the result of being in this like weird in-between state. I, I guess this is like the best way I want to put it. And it's interesting because um, so many people were so angry that I won and I was get you know, seeing polls on the internet where 80% of fans surveyed that I shouldn't have won. And I got the usual like vitriol you get on the internet when one, you achieve anything and two, when you're part of any minority or underrepresented group, you get it and you get people wanting to discredit you just because um, you're like you were a BIPOC person and they only wanted like a BIPOC person to win and you're you're a woman and they wanted a woman to win. So it's like I dealt with all of that stuff. I also dealt with a lot of like um, – oh, maybe Erica's inarticulate or maybe Erica has no personality or maybe Erica can't tell a story. And that's why she's not being shown on TV. And also as someone who was a corporate communications, like strategic communicator for 10 years, those comments would make me stop and think, wait, was my entire career up until this point a lie? It's not. I know that it's not. So when I do meet fans, one of the nicest compliments that I get from people is when people say, after meeting you, I understand why you won. They're like, I un- completely understand. And I think the show didn't properly capture who you were as a person. So I'm like, okay, you know what? If in real life I'm cool, then I can live with that. On t- Yeah, on TV, um, you came off how you came off. You mm-hmm. walked away with all the money in person. Mm-hmm. Like you're reading fantastically. I mean, it's it's still not not easy, but – one thing that I think really did convey your personality, um, I was just like rewatching the clip of your final speech. I was crying. Oh my <laughs> I was, god! Like, I, <laughs> also, yeah, it's a very crying t- <laughs> time in general in the world, and for certainly for me. But I, like you were saying, like, oh my god, it makes me emotional. You were like saying that you've always been perceived as the intern when really you're like running the meetings your whole life. And so you knew that. And so you're going to like finally like take, take that. Well, not finally. Cause you've been, you've had a very like, you know, powerful career, but you're going to take that and run with it. And I was just like, I don't know. It was really like hit me. And then when you were talking about like doing it for your parents and like, guys, even if you, whether you watch survivor or not, Go listen to Erica's podcast, specifically the episode you talked about, um, the first one where you're like drinking wine with your friend. You're talking about the complexities of all of the layers and pressure that you are bringing in of like everything we've mentioned so far, but also like your family and like all, all of that culminating in this like also this dream that you've always Mm -hmm. had all in this one moment and then actually succeeding in it yeah it is amazing yeah it's it's surreal and it's one of those things where the the real authentic reality tv moments stick because when i said that bit about being the intern i was not expecting it to resonate with people as much as it did i had so many people message me after and actually i still have people and, and even today thank you i still have people who say that that really resonated with them and i and i think that it it signaled to me that um, the experience that I brought into the show was legitimate. And whether or not it was shown on screen is neither here nor there. But I I brought something that people really needed to see. And that that was very – yeah, that was just like a very like humbling thing. And that, and that got past like whatever made the cutting room floor, like whatever didn't get shown, like you still managed to also just – like have people see themselves in you people who aren't represented on tv and you still manage to like get in this like powerful finale i'm like this is why i like (laughs) this is like why i said uh you know the beginning that i'd be terrible in this show because i think if you're in your head too much and thinking about what the fans are gonna think it makes bad tv everyone can tell Mm -hmm. and that's what like (laughs) I know that, that 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 would be like my 
I don't know. I would just be in my head about that. Yeah. Um, but you were able to block that out. And, you know, with a mixed reaction, I want to talk a little bit more um, about the backlash you got. We're just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, and we're back on like I said that I would try to contain my fangirling, not doing a very good job, but just going on about like truly like how emotional it made me to see your final speech. And you were saying that like your friends all felt the same way, like or people you know have all said that it, it makes them cry too. I'm glad mm-hmm. it's not I, I mean I'm a crying type of gal, but like it's really <laughs> not just me. I'll I'll have to post I'll have to post it along with this episode because Yes. The, the other part of my time on the show that people always bring up is when I was on Exile Island. And that was when I got outcast and sent to live on this island by myself for two days and two nights. And I believe I was very much cast to be the city girl who didn't know how to live outside. So I was either the worst or from a production standpoint, the perfect person to go to Exile Island. And that experience was so crazy and so special to me because I was so scared. But the producer who I had with me was this Asian Canadian woman who was the same age as me. And she really understood where I was coming from. And normally on Survivor, when you go and you do your confessionals, they have a place set up for you to sit down and to be interviewed by a producer. But then when I was on exile, I remember I built my fire, uh, put the rice on, and then just got into a ball and started crying. And then the producer sat down in front of me and then she was also crying. And then she just starts asking me how I'm feeling. And this is where it's so important to have the representation both in front of and behind the camera because of the magic of having someone who was like me, who understood everything I was saying and who made me feel safe enough to share more. That's what created this beautiful TV moment. And also I want to recognize all of the camera and audio people in that moment because as she's sitting with me and we're crying, they quickly get everything together and set it up so it becomes like a confessional right there. So it's like all of this exile stuff that resonated with so many people was actually like organic and in the moment. And I remember they're, they're like radioing each other, like they're, they're both crying quick. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, get them, get them. <laughs> I remember like coming home and, and being in touch with some producers. They're like, your exile content is really good. But I was terrified to watch it because I was like, oh my God, did I say too much stuff about how much my family struggled? Because there's always a level of shame talking about familial struggle and especially for parents who are immigrants and then they have they come to a new country for a better life, but then they're struggling to provide for their kids. I'm like, I know that that can be a really shameful experience. And I'm like, oh my God, have I talked about this too much? Is this going to be embarrassing to them? But then the reaction that I heard from my family and my friends and so many people online. I I didn't realize this moment was going to have this much power, but I really feel like it set my family free from so much shame. And then like so many children of immigrants, so many immigrant parents reached out and they're like, thank you for talking about that. So I know I'm not the only one who like lived like that. And yeah, I know I'm like crying now, but I'm like, oh, no, that was like too. such a real, like a real reality TV moment that I'm happy was honored. I'm like, I don't know, it really like it gets me so much. I'm so sorry. Same. Same. <laughs> oh, this, this isn't like why I brought you here to <laughs> We have to see this. Oh my god. Um no, but like that's so real. Like just being so worried about a vulnerable moment. And like for you, it's your particular experience and struggle, but I think in all of life, everyone can relate to that feeling of, oh my God, I just opened up and like, oh, <laughs> was it did, too <laughs> Is much? Is my life no? over? Will my family hate me? Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. Or even just, you know, in any setting, like in work and personal, like we're not all on a game show, you know, but in life, like there is a combination of like strategy mixed with being like, yes. mixed with how people perceive you. Like, if you want a raise at work, you're not going to like walk right up the first moment you think of it and be like, I want a raise. Like you're going to strategically like go into it, you know? So yes, it is mimicking life. And I think that's like part of why the audience can like connect to these moments. But yeah, talking about like people being represented both on screen and off screen, it's true because also like 
you could have people on screen, you know, you could have all the representation that people are asking for, but then people that have never like thought about these issues behind the screen might not even like pick up on just how important it is to show Mm -hmm. these moments or like the significance of talking about something to be like, Oh wait, this has never really been like talked about on a reality show before. Mm -hmm. I know. And that's the thing. It's like, and I've also had, not so good moments when I was there where I would talk about how, oh, if I was going to do the same thing as somebody else, I would come off as intimidating. And I actually had a producer who, let's say it was not the producer who was the same one from Exile. It was a different producer. And they were like, no, I don't see how you could ever be intimidating. So like, let's move on to the next thing. And I'm like, oh, I just got shut down from really sharing this like life experience that informed my strategy. Yeah, totally. And like, I don't know, I'm just thinking about like, you know, talking about how important it is to, to be showing all these different sides and getting into like the nuance on TV. Like I, okay, I talk about The Bachelor probably a little too much, but to me, like shows like The Bachelor or like Survivor, that really represents like where people are at. Like companies can like change their logo on Twitter, like X, whatever, you know, for the month of whatever thing that they're trying to show, like, look, we care this month, but it doesn't actually like mean much in terms of how people actually live and what people think. And so for you there, you were the second Asian woman to win survivors, right? Yes. In all 20 years. Yeah. The third Asian person. But then on The Bachelor, like we still haven't had an Asian lead because of, I think, that stereotype of like, oh, kind of like this quiet sort of in the background, mm-hmm. like supporting character type of like stereotype. Mm-hmm. Or the dragon lady who would be so aggressive to all the people. Yeah. The like hypersexualized, like, I don't know, that like Charlie's Angels kind of yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no in between apparently. No. <laughs> No, no, we have, yeah, a lot of progress to make. And then we still, and then people are still such idiots, like to have the audacity to be like, oh, well, you like, you only got ahead because of this. And you're that, it's like, actually, no, like, despite that, that's how you got ahead. In fact, that always puts me behind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And okay, so I wanted to talk about like, actually winning and like having this goal so like something that I think a lot about is just like when you have this goal and you achieve it like obviously it's incredible but I think that it there's just also a lot that comes with it that Mm -hmm. that doesn't get talked about like you know what I mean like were was there sort of like a mix of emotions from winning beyond just like you know the joy of yeah so there's a few things something that I've come to realize, and now what, I'm two years, so it's taken me a long time. This is not like an instant revelation. I've come to meet different winners of different franchises, and I've learned that everyone who has won a reality show carries like some type of hurt and some type of weight with them. It's like winners hurt in a different way. And it's where I think people believe, okay, but you got that childhood dream. You're always going to have – you won't always, but it's like you got the million dollars. All, you got all this. So it doesn't matter because like you have the money and it's like, okay, yes, I have the money. But then also there is like a weird like pain that comes with it because I remember the psychologist from Survivor. They were preparing me after I was the winner and before the show aired, they were saying that – the higher you go, the more people are going to want to pull you down. And you have ended at the top, so people are going to be coming for you. So it's like as soon as you get to the top, I think there's more people who want to discredit your achievements. And then you also feel like this loneliness, like you can't really talk to your other castmates about it because you also want to be mindful of how they're grieving that they lost and they didn't get the childhood dream. You don't want to come off ungrateful so a lot of people like manage these these feelings in isolation and it and then if they're isolated thinking about all this stuff that's when they can start to think about their self-worth it's like how people were saying that i was inarticulate and didn't know how to tell a story there was a moment in time where i thought oh my god i'm not the person that i thought i was this whole time again now i know that that's not true i know that i am articulate i've been speaking to you for the past 40 minutes but it is a weird a weird emotional journey you go on as a winner. 
The other thing is it's really hard once you have reached this high to figure out what you're going to do next. And you don't know if you're going to be able to replicate the high. You feel like it's going to be fleeting, especially because on every franchise, like in a few months, the new cast comes in, there's a new winner, everyone moves on to the next thing. This achievement that really defined you and helped you to feel like you had such a high self-worth, it now doesn't feel like it's giving you the same joy. And you have to figure out how to manage those feelings that come with coming down from the show. I always say I'm really lucky that I won the show when I was in my 30s and I had a bit more life experience. So I knew that this was one dream, but there has to be more dreams and this can't be the only thing that defines me. But I think that if there's someone who wins and they don't have that same life experience, like I really feel for them because I imagine it's probably so, so hard. That's why so many like Olympic gold medal winners like really go down a a rough road and like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of like, there's like things like DUIs and just really like people getting like talking about feeling like really depressed because they've well I mean the Olympics are a bit of a different thing but for those people they've had to train and that's been their singular focus and then that's taken then that's done and it's like Mm -hmm. okay like what now and yeah like I know for me like when um it's been like greatest joy of my life to be doing this podcast stuff and all the content creation and everything but like some of the big accomplishments that I've gotten in it like have made me the most sad and like yeah yeah, I don't want to sound smug and like an asshole Mm -hmm. but like that is just like my truth like I put out a book earlier this year I'm really happy with it I oh thanks um (laughs) the stuff I hate Mm -hmm. journal it's a book of journal prompts all about negativity and venting your frustrations Mm -hmm. but I yeah like I just when I was thinking about you winning and talking after about your mixed feelings about the experience and like gratitude, but also just everything else. It just made me think of this book and, and like, it's not really actually anything that I've, I've talked about to the audience at any point because yeah, I I don't want to sound like a huge asshole, but I really, I really spent like that week just like in bed because I was like, okay, I did this. But now for me, a lot of, you know, you talked about being invested in the show in the first place as a way to deal with grief. And that is why I started my platform as a way to deal with grief and kind of like a distraction and just mm-hmm. process all the energy. And then, so then it's just, you're, you're going through all these different phases mm-hmm. of reaching these heights. And it's like, you're kind of coming out of them. I mean, I've, I haven't been on the show, but like it, I imagine that you kind of feel like a different person on the other side. Then you have to grapple with that. Yeah. Oh, I feel like a completely different person. Like people ask me how my life has changed. And I'm like, okay, yes, it's taken a while, but my life has changed where it's like didn't do the same job that I did before. I was able to move and have all these experiences and invest in myself in a way that I wasn't able to before. And, and this is the thing. I never want to sound ungrateful for Survivor because no matter how the edit looked, no matter what anybody said about me online, nothing will take away what that experience did for me and did for my family, not even just in terms of like money, but it's like emotionally, it's like helping my parents to not feel ashamed of struggling. Like nothing is ever going to take away how powerful that was. Or like even me helping me to see, it's like, my instincts like were right and I can trust myself. Um, So the way I'd say it is it's like something like Survivor is um, one of the most amazing achievements I've had, probably will be one of the most amazing achievements I had. And it was also something that presented me with some of the biggest challenges I had. And then, and that's okay, but that's okay because that's part of it. Um, And I try to openly talk about it because Yes, not everybody who might read something I've written or listen to a podcast I'm on has won a reality show and that's fine, but it's like how you can relate to it. It's like everybody has probably had some type of achievement where they have felt bad that they felt bad after having this achievement. And I hope to like relieve people of some guilt for that. Um, There's something else I wanted to say, but I feel like I went on a tangent and forgot the question, Emily. 
I mean, I'm all tangents all the time. Okay, so okay. I, prob- I probably led you astray. With that. No, no, no. I was just like, do, do, do. So many. It's been a while since I've talked about this, and and it's like I appreciate that you've invited me here to be able to talk about it in like a nuanced way because I think it's like the way that I enjoy talking about the show. It's with people who have like a level of understanding of all the layers of what we see. So it's like it's nice because I'm like, oh, I'm able to access parts of my brain and some of my thoughts that I thought that. I I didn't have like the space to access in other places. So thank you. Oh my God. You're so welcome. Well, yeah. When you were talking at first, like about outfits and like picking an outfit, I wanted to like, I wanted to start to get into the nitty gritty of like what outfits get approved and how many you're allowed. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, no, I have bigger things that I want to ask you about. Yeah. I'm curious about some of those details, but like, I, yeah, I, I think that that's like, you're such a, like you're incredibly unique perspective that you bring to it and also like on your platform like you talk a lot about mental health but like in a really no bs kind of way like a very Mm -hmm. real way there's there's sort of the yeah um you're you're in canada so you're familiar with like bell talks like yes um i also am on a bell media show right now but let's keep going (laughs) okay okay amazing so your approach is not the corporate like whatever corporate Mm -hmm. there's the corporate approach of like we care about mental health same thing with like cbs being like we now care about diversity like yeah. they they yeah. can only take it so far they're also like yeah. they're also trying to sell their tv show and have people watch mm-hmm. um but yeah you talk about it in a real way cuz it's you never come off as like ungrateful like you you never um come off <laughs> like i've seen so many contestants um of various shows just being like oh my god like <laughs> that's not that's not me and I'm like well you threw a wine glass so I think you really did you really did that no one no one unless they were investing in CGI on Bravo that glass left your hand yeah yeah AI technology was is not at that level yet no but that is getting into real mental health and obviously most people haven't been on a tv show but I think everyone to an extent has had something outside of themselves that they've tried to achieve and then realize like that's not going to like fill the void mm-hmm. or that's not going to like check the box that they thought it is. So I think you're you are really helping people by talking about it so openly and sorry for crying to you. <laughs> like, no, also- no. <laughs> I was like night is cathartic to cry. Me too. Well, actually, funny enough, we're just two water signs just crying it out. Um, Oh, yes. Scorpio and Cancer. Yeah. So, okay. So before we got on mic, like all all the listeners are going to know, like all roads for me kind of lead back to a few things. And one of those is astrology. But I try to like go easy on it. Like I, I bring it up when people want to talk about it. But you like, I said like something about a birthday coming up and you're we got into astrology right oh, away, which I was like, within this- a minute, my natal chart was pulled out on my phone. Yeah, this is my dream because with all of this strategy, I was like, what is your chart? <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't even going to bring it up because, like, you know, if you bring, <laughs> I'm not trying to like force it on someone who's like, I don't, you know, doesn't care about it, but like, can we get into your chart because yeah. it's maybe let's maybe we'll just cover like start with like your big three. Okay. Um, so you said Cancer Sun, yes. Aquarius Moon, Libra Rising. Yes. I remember that correctly. Okay. Yes. So- I'm so curious to hear your analysis of this. I've always wanted someone actually to give me an analysis of me as like a survivor player based on my chart so this is actually perfect for me okay uh, amazing well I do like I do astrology readings like where I get more into like the nitty-gritty like the houses the aspects and whatnot mm-hmm. um but I I like to keep it more like I want to um not make it so jargony um so we'll start with okay we'll start with your big three okay and you're saying you don't need my birth time because I'm willing I'm willing to give it up if we need it. Well, we know you you put in your birth like you your birth time like gives you your yeah. chart. Yeah. There's like geniuses who can just calculate it like in their heads from like a birth time. I'm wow. I can barely like do basic addition, so that's not me. Um, <laughs> no, no. Let's but- do the basic. <laughs> but okay. So, it's actually really interesting because 
Um, cancers are cancer sons are some of the most frequent reality show contestants across all shows. Wow! Very unexpectedly, yeah. yeah. You would think you would think it's fire signs, um, and fire signs do obviously fire signs do make great TV. Cancers are like the most frequent of all the drag queens on wow. RuPaul's Drag Race. There's so many new shows that like maybe that's that's skewed now, but like um, at one point. It was the most of any sign were cancers. And on a lot of the Bravo shows I watch, it's like cancerian heavy energy. And I think it's because everyone loves to see people crying. Like that's just, that's like why we, that's part of why we're watching reality TV is to watch people have like a full mental breakdown on camera. And no one does that quite like us water signs. No. <laughs> and, and, but like also just like the emotions, the feelings, but like, Every water sign is so sensitive that they need a way to protect themselves. And with cancers, it's like the crab shell. And so like it's they have to have like a really tough surface to protect themselves. But what happens like within the crab shell and outside of it are two completely different realities. And like that's not a two faced thing. It's just like it's the same with like who they are in like at home once they can just like, ugh, you know, just like mm-hmm. let it all out with their the people they love the most. That's different than the the face that they're going to put on once they step out the door. And that's why they're really, really good at being professional at work. And they're often like some of the hardest workers, but also just just being able to put on a front as a form of self-protection that just comes naturally to them. And that's like also how you're going to win like a strategic reality TV show. But then the Libra rising is that's like a really lovely, warm energy. Like it's very, it is soft. It's just a really lovely, breezy energy that is, let's just like smooth everything out. Nothing like a Libra rising to just kind of like, hey, let's just gently even everything out. If people are kind of like bickering, let's just cool things down. But in a really like- so funny. On Survivor, on my initial tribe, there would be people getting into conflict, but then maybe it's a little Libra rising. I was really good at just like um, diffusing the conflict right away. And sometimes I feel like production would be like, fuck, Erica, like let them fight. But I'm like, no, we have to maintain harmony here. So that, that rings true. But yeah, and yeah, it is really, really good at being diplomatic to unfortunately sometimes to their detriment because like a like someone with strong labor placements is going to jump in and smooth things over whether like they're taking care of themselves or not like there's they're like wanting peace and like Mm -hmm. just order to things like there's a reason why they're represented by the scales it's just Mm -hmm. like let's balance things out and then i mean i'm also saying this like i have a lot of libra in my chart where (laughs) i'm just like okay, how can we conflict resolve? And then after I'm like, wait, am I okay? Like what's going on? <laughs> you know, but, but, but that's like, I think that's the, that's the beauty of a Libra placement. But then this Aquarius moon is really calm and above it all. Like if there's anything that can like represent your overall strategy, I would say it's your Aquarius moon. Oh. And, and it's interesting because like your moon. So for anyone like who's not big into astrology, like your sun is like, your baseline, your rising so that for you, that's Libra. That's like how you show up. That the, that's the first side of you that people see. Your moon is like your deep inner world. You can show who, who you want. You can show that side to who you want. It's for like your inner circle, your inner emotions. And that is like cool, calm, collected, seeing everything from above. And you went into this fully seeing the big picture. Sometimes I think of Aquarius moons as like sitting literally on the moon and just looking down at earth and like observing it all. Mm-hmm. And there'll be like this label of being like detached, but that can be a really positive thing in a lot of senses where it can be like, okay, let's take, let's take the emotions out of it. Okay. Let's take out like, oh, um, the emotions, let's say behind how people might put you in a box. And let's just look at the big goal of winning and stay mm-hmm. focused on that. And that's where like not being so in it and so like emotional about every side of it, not letting that get to you can be really advantageous. And no one does that better than an Aquarius moon. Also, they're like dancing to the beat of their own freaking drum. Like they're writing all the rules, but they're doing it in the most quiet way. Like they're not Mm -hmm. 
they're not trying to like prove that they're different or prove whatever. They're like, I know I am. I don't need to prove it to anyone. Like this is, and also like, I don't need to be debating the rules with you because I don't believe in them. And I'm already like off doing things like living life by my own rules. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, that all makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> all even this- when I came off of survivor, there's like certain interviews that people, um, do but then I it was really important for me to be able to talk about Survivor in that first episode of my podcast um and have that be like my first really meaty discussion about the show so then people had to wait and were kept in the dark for so long they're like wait why didn't Erica do this thing that everybody wanted everyone else does why isn't she doing it and then just like a year later I'm like hey here you go here's the answer to all your questions gonna go off and like start my own podcast and like do my own thing bye (laughs) I feel like that that sounds like it was very Aquarius moon of me. Yeah, Aquarius moons have nothing to prove. Like they're just truly doing their own thing. It's like a whole different energy. Um, do you know okay, one more thing, do you know what your Mars is in? Oh, yes. I'm my very... Mars is in Leo. Okay. So that's that's conflict resolution or that's what's going to show up in terms of a few different things, but it's what's going to show up in conflicts um also as far as like your energy and that's like the lion like yeah um you know it doesn't hurt to have some leo to be like Mm -hmm. a public figure um also you do public speaking now yeah yes that's gonna really help because leos and leo marses will show up with pride but like it's a soft pride. Like it's not, um, it's not like an aggressive, it's like much less of the kind of like, um, claws, wait, claws of a, no. Yeah. Yeah. Claws? Okay. Claws? claws? Like, you know, the they're claws like, are on the paws. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I'm like, what biology? Okay. But yeah, it's like, it's, they're much less like sharp and scary and more just like when you think about like most of the time, like when you see footage of a line, they're just like, they're just chilling mm-hmm. and there is this pride, but also they like to be at the center of things, mm-hmm. but also not in such a glaring in your face way as people like to make Leos out to be. There's going to be a pride in your beliefs and in your convictions that you're going to bring to the forefront in these kind of like challenges that are presented on a show like Survivor. So that's mm-hmm. very, that's very cool uh-huh. to see. I also have my Venus in Leo. Love that. Yeah. I have a lot of Leo to counter my water. Well, (laughs) a lot of your heart and mind is ruled by Leo and by the sun. Like Mm -hmm. the Leo's sort of in a different way of Aquarius, like where I said like Aquarius has nothing to prove. Leo's are like, yeah, I am at the center of things. And, And it's just sort of like, that is a fact. Like you talking about being like, in the center of camp like I mean there's a lot more to you being in the center of camp than just that one element of your chart there's a lot of thought Mm -hmm. that went into that but Leo's don't mind a spotlight Leo Venus does not mind a little spotlight shone on them Mm -hmm. and we'll also be I mean we'll also be a little like hey we're like if the spotlight's not on them it's like what's up with that (laughs) and for you the fact that it wasn't on you as much, you know, going back to this edit conversation, those, those are very valid things to have qualms about, which you've said that you resolved a lot of those feelings. But I just think that um, your feelings at different points are just so valid on that. And I, mm-hmm. I found it so interesting to hear you talking about it. And so I just want to like, thank you for being so open about your experiences and about everything about the show and about your life. Erica, this has been like really, really wonderful chatting with you. Yeah. I feel like we really got to the heart of things like quickly and more than I expected. And it's really nice to have, again, like the space to have these types of conversations because I feel like there's not a lot of places out there where you can talk about reality TV in this nuanced way where I can talk about my feelings, where I can cry a little bit. So thank you for giving that to me today. Well, I like. I say, you know, it's about reality TV, like this podcast, but really it's about like (laughs) how the world works and like what makes people tick. And I like, I'm, I'm having a whole 
different experience not even trying to say it's anywhere in the same like realm but just like in terms of being underestimated like I love the people that turn up their nose at the concept of like pop culture and reality tv mm-hmm. I like that fuels me I'm like oh yeah just disregard like keep moving the people who get it are gonna stick around mm-hmm. and know that this is about something so much more deep than just like people winning a prize or people bickering on tv or what have you oh a hundred percent it's just Pop culture is just what? What everybody in the world consumes and it's how we form our opinions about others and ourselves. Oh, that's not important? Okay, cool. You you can go about your day and just like enjoy doing what you do. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Erica, all of your stuff is going to be linked in the show notes, but tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. It's Erica underscore Cass. Uh, that's the same on Twitter. And then on TikTok, which I haven't used a lot. It's my full name, Erica Kasupanen. And Emily and I are Sonar Network sisters. So I have a podcast called Happy to See Me. It's an interview show. It's more about having inspirational pep talk type conversations with people about their life experiences. And I try to surface the stories that are overlooked and underestimated. So check that out. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks so much, Erica. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 